BetMGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at BetMGM. Simply download the BetMGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then, place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Virginia today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. Hello, everybody. My name is Ray. Welcome to the Evangelical Dark Web. Tonight, we're going to be discussing a lot of uh, fun different topics. Uh, we're going to be going around, but our main topic to start out with will be the Doug Wilson, uh, sort of con- latest Doug Wilson controversy, if you want to call it that, and how he's kind of going after a Pella, ch- this church in his own denomination in Pella, Iowa, and he's also taking shots at Stephen Wolf. A lot of this is pretty unnecessary. I've kind of wanted to talk about this for a few days now, but it's a good topic for a live stream if you ask me. We are live on YouTube, Twitter, and, and Rumble and Twitch. But, you know, not many people on Twitch these days. Uh, but anyway, uh, how are you doing tonight, Anthony? Not doing good. I mean, if I guess it was a clothing optional stream, our Twitch would do better. But yeah, it would do better in that type of environment. But, you know, the rules are the rules now. Although I do got to say, I, I do think this was kind of an overlooked story is like, didn't Twitch walk back there, you know, their base, they were basically going to turn it into a strip club, but they walked that back because the people on the, the platform didn't want that, which is kind of a shock to me, but that is apparently something that happened earlier this year. So with that said, I do want to let you know uh, Evangelical Dark Web is a Christian news gathering and commentary ministry. You can support us over at evangelicaldarkweb.org slash join. That's our Patreon-like system. We do a lot of uh, news gathering and commentary because there's a lot of commentary out there, but there's not a lot of news gathering out there. Uh, that's something that we got to get better at as Christians, I, I believe. Uh, we can't rely too much on liberal media to do the news gathering for us and then just you know respond to that. So... We kind of do pro- proactive news gathering. We broke the story on the uh, Alistair Begg controversy. And, you know, you wrote the article. I did the video and edited the article, which, you know, a lot of that was done by the robots. But still, it was a team effort. I didn't even notice. <laughs> uh, so with that said, uh, Doug Wilson took some shots at uh, uh, Stephen Wolf and his own denomination. So we're going to start off talking about that. And he wrote this article called as the, as fighting moderates mount the lone bulwark as the fighting moderates mount the lone bulwark, which I don't know if that's a really good title at all, but maybe it sounded better in his head. So I don't, I don't know if it's based on anything or not, but 
Yeah, I mean, it's very Doug Wilson. Like, long. anytime I read a Doug Wilson article, I read it in his voice. Yeah, I mean, that's the the draw. Also, the drawback sometimes. It, it sounds exactly like it's written. So, so last week he wrote a couple of pieces that stirred the pot in what I consider to be necessary ways. And in the first, you know, my response to Alistair Begg. Yeah, you know, nothing really significant. And then this result. I, mean, I actually, I actually, uh, I actually do think uh, there's some significance in that when I was reading it because it's like his examples were like, okay, a guy that is marrying his girlfriend or something after dumping his wife, and then the alt right barbecue was kind was pretty ridiculous. Well, actually, let's let's talk about that for a second because we ran a poll on the evangelical dark web twitter account on this very pressing issue so uh doug wilson said uh basically made a moral equivalency so let's actually read the moral equivalency first uh i used a couple of celebratory events that christians could not attend in order to demonstrate how much more they sh should not be able to they should be unable to attend a trans wedding. The examples were for were a reception a man gave to introduce his girlfriend for whom he ditched his wife of 30 years. And also the case of a man with a problematic alt-right website that went big and they were going to st start up a print magazine of the white nationalist sort. And you were invited to a grand opening barbecue. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, my answer not... was, of course, you would not attend either one of these. So we posited the uh, Twitter poll on whether in all, you know, basically his words, is it a sin to go to this event? 22.4% said yes, 74.2% said no, 3.4% said too afraid to answer, which is my way of you know, goading people to take a binary stance. And it's a very effective one. I got it from uh, uh, the Bible Bashed podcast. Uh, they've been guests on the show before. So your thoughts on that? Yeah, I mean, it's it's a ridiculous moral equivalency. I mean, who has a reception to introduce their girlfriend? Because he didn't say wedding reception, which, okay, that would have been like the much more easier example just to say you don't go to like a man's second wedding after he divorces his wife though statistically it's you know the other one party that does the divorcing but yeah you don't he didn't use that example which is you know far more common you know like well he he wanted england. to keep it away from a wedding yeah but a king of england only abdicated the throne for such a reason like a reception to introduce your girlfriend okay how old are you like 16 and you're bringing your girlfriend home to the folks or something but like yeah that's ridiculous and the alt-white barbecue which okay sounds like they might have some good ribs that actually would say hey this is like that's the equivalent of going to coffee yeah the number of comments that like, asked what they were making at that barbecue <laughs> like the whole well so would that mean you don't go to a gay person's barbecue which again i would say is even more problematic than a white uh than a presumed white nationalist barbecue which again Far more interesting conversations happening there than at the queer barbecue, if you wanted to actually make an equivalent. Yeah, I can just imagine the catty conversations that are happening at the uh, gay barbecue. Uh, but yeah, I, I don't think it's categorically sinful uh, because I don't really think white nationalism is categorically sinful. 
And I guess that's a term we're going to use a lot. Uh, if Wilson, uh, Greg says, if Wilson objects to Christian nationalism, then bring me a CN. I'm on the right track. Um, so he, here's the thing, because Doug Wilson, I, I, he's kind of out there and he's very creative with his theology, which I think makes him good in some areas and uh, very good on rhetoric, but not very good in other areas because he kind of tries mean, to reinvent the wheel a little bit. I mean, he's very pioneer, like a pioneer in some, I mean, Moscow. Oh, yeah, Moscow, Idaho. He has turned that into a Christian hub in the Northwest. So that that's something to note. Uh, but yeah, the Twitter audience overwhelmingly supports the idea of going to a barbecue. I mean, not only simple. should you go to the to the barbecue, you should actually bring a side dish. And bring a side dish. You know, don't make it. You know, uh, potato salad with extra mayonnaise, right? So this resulted in some murmuring on the internet and you all know how important it is that murmuring on the internet be addressed. So I followed up with the piece critiquing the principle that is current that is circulating among some conservative hardliners, which is that of no enemies to the right netter. I believe that our guiding principles should be that if God has enemies on to my right, then I have a moral obligation to have enemies to my right. But I did grant a measure of wisdom to the netter impulse. We must not denounce anyone to our right simply because we are feeling emotional pressure from the screechers on the left, those who are never cease demanding that we do so. They will not be mollified in any case, and so that is important never to try. Am I doing good at reading it in his voice? It's a decent attempt. But I mean... Considering yeah, that, you know, that was that was awful. That that paragraph was just awful. What like what what's your take on the netter thing? I'm very pro netter. I mean, it is a strategy and a tactic. It's about friend enemy distinction, which I mean, isn't that supposed to be like a Francis Schaefer idea? Friend enemy distinction, and like every like that's like the Christian political book, which I'll probably be reading in the next week. Um, but yeah, friend enemy distinction. The idea of netter is that you don't make enemies out of your friends or people that could be your friends, even if, <clears throat> and so his whole, you know, you got to attack them because they're God's enemies. I mean, technically any non-believers God's enemy. So if we really want to, yeah, if we really want to just go scripture on you, but the idea is that the people to your right generally don't have power, don't have access, don't have like institutions. So why are you attacking people? I mean, you're essentially attacking people with nothing. And yeah, saying, yeah, there's punching and down is the uh, worldly term. Another, yeah, another term for that. So it's, yeah, it's just, it's an idiotic strategy. It's almost like I read this as he, him trying to do his own third wayism, the Moscow really? third wayism. The Moscow, that's what he's trying to Moscow do. Moscow third way. That's kind of what he's trying to do. Is you know you can attack those people over there, but and but you also have to make sure you attack them over there. And again, the people you know that you would that he's going to describe as like netter, which would be reactionaries. I mean, those people are more likely to be allies, but they're not also not going to like lock you up, take away your rights, and cancel you for saying something that goes against the mainstream. 
So again, it's about, he does not understand friend enemy distinction. Yeah, I, I think that's a fair critique. Uh, now, I don't really bring up the Nenner topic a whole lot. It's just, I don't have an issue with this, so I don't need to have a special term for the things that I do or say. Now, I, I do talk about my upcoming book, Winning Not Winsome, Ten Commandments for Spiritual Warfare. One of the commandments does have to do with defining your enemy. And, you, you know, you're not going to you know, there, there's something prudent about which things, which issues you're going to attack people over, uh, which issues you're going to, you know, divide over. What are the true fault lines? And the thing is, you got to be prudent about that. Uh, you can't just, you know, split over the issue of cessationism versus continuationism. That's stupid. And you have to have some sort of... Uh, Friend, you know, again, a friend enemy distinction's good. I'm being roasted in the comments by Yellow Moth, and that's just so brilliant. Who will release their book first, Ray or George R. R. Martin? Now, here's the update on that. It got a fresh edit from the robots. I really don't know why I paid an editor to edit the book to professionally proofread the book when the robots don't miss. That's just my my take on that. And then I have to get like you know, scolded by the editor to not include explicit terms, uh, which you'll, you'll know what I mean. If you read the book, like it's not, I'm not dropping F bombs or anything, but it's like kind of defeats the purpose, but no, George R. R. Martin is never releasing winds of winter. And you know that. So yeah, we got a fresh round of edits. <laughs> yeah, you know. Uh, so good question though. I, I like the roast. Uh, but anyway, that that's what one of the chapters is about. And so we talk about defining your enemies. So I, I didn't need to invent a term called netter for it. I wrote that before netter became a thing. So uh, then he goes on with the Churchill dilemma. So he talks about, you know, when the Soviet Hitler or Churchill was very anti-communist. But when, you know, this Hitler betrayed the Soviets, you know, all of a sudden, you know, the Soviets which are is friends. A, a false reading of the scenario, which is a false reading of history, but you know. Uh, why do you say that? I mean, it was odd. I mean, again, the whole Soviet German war was going to happen regardless of anything and everything the Brits were doing. And well, if yeah, Hitler I doesn't, if Hitler doesn't attack, then then the Stalin would. And and the Germans in the Third Reich had already or the Germans and Russians had already fought in Spain with because that was a proxy war. Right. The war between Hitler and Stalin was inevitable. And the fact that he basically does the whole, well, you know, the whole Polish annexation by Stalin, that was, that's okay. But the Germans doing the same thing was, I mean, yeah, it just makes it was a group effort. I mean, some of it us just makes you question why the West went to war with Berlin. Because they had it up to here. That, that's why. And they were allies with Poland, but again, they didn't go to war with the Soviet Union. Uh, they really wanted war with Germany, for, you know, but, and, and that didn't go well for them at first. Uh, especially France. But what bothers me is that France, like, preemptively surrenders. They didn't have to surrender. But when the tides of the war turned, they're like, hey, can we get in on the spoils of war? Like, they didn't make the war that much harder to win by surrendering when they didn't have to. So anyway, 
We're going to move on to the section, the 11 words, and this is dumb. Also, just to note, it's uh, it's an ad Hitler homonym. If we yeah, to, if you like, have to use Hitler as an argument, it's not exactly a good argument. Uh, the 11 words. So, so, some months ago, Stephen Wolf, author of The Case for Christian Nationalism, which was published by Canon Press, which is Doug Wilson's publishing company tweeted that white evangelicals were the lone bulwark standing between us and the moral disaster or the disaster of moral insanity. It should be of no great surprise that some people went nuts because that's what they do. And some back and after some back and forth, Canon press Stevens publisher responded by saying something like to be clear, this is dumb. If you would like some more background on all of that, you can find it here. And as everything about our culture continues to unravel, apparently on schedule, Stephen recently wondered aloud on X whether or not it was time for Canon Press to say the 11 words referring to his lone bulwark tweet. I will have, I will have a counteroffer for him here in just a couple of minutes. It is... All very well for us to say dumb, but dumb how? As a demographic observation, it was true as the fact that the sun rises in the east and that the grass is greener after it does. This kind of observation is a staple coming from the punditry class on all talking head channels. Black women vote this way, Jewish intellectuals vote that way, and white evangelicals go in the other direction. So as a demographic observation, Stephen's tweet was tr as true as it gets. America keeps trying to commit suicide and evangelicals keep getting in the way. The problem is that the progressives and the reactionaries to Stephen's left and to Stephen's right have both fully embraced the same ontological mistake. The only thing that separates them is what they think of that mistake. The mistake is that thinking that evangelicals are the lone bulwark because of their whiteness. The leftists loathe what they do because it is grounded in whiteness, and the reactionaries love it because it is grounded in whiteness. I love it because the lone bulwark. I love it because it is the lone bulwark against moral insanity. So I wanted to stop before we get to the counter offer. So your your take on a. Uh... I mean, where to begin? I mean, first of all, a lot of the push is anti-white. And we can pull up a chart on, the, I mean, we could always pull up the chart on this is what the electoral college would look like if so-and-so voted. And it's like, yeah, if only like white people voted, like like the upper Northwest, like Oregon. We're talking 90%. State. Right? Yeah, I mean. Or maybe 80%. Uh, the electoral college yeah so i mean we could go through that if only women voted democrats would essentially control if like only minorities voted then it's all blue so i mean we can go through that but yeah a lot of the whole critical race theory push and a lot of the whole wokeism push is explicitly anti-white they're trying to destroy white nations that essentially were white and built from white people so i mean the whole I mean, so yes, the whiteness part actually is part of why that that it matters, and it's along with the evangelical part because one provides the 
I guess the ethnic heritage, if you want to call it that, it has the heritage, you know, the, one might say the blood and or the soil, and the other is the moral component. And the cultural. Yes. So you have those two components, which is why, you know, the whiteness actually is substantial. Because, again, even those nominal Christians, I mean, or nominal people that might have grown up in the Bible Belt that are, you know, they might be like, uneducated college white people that don't go to church, you know, your MAGA, your MAGA mechanic or whatever, he is, you know, he still has that instinct that makes him against as that makes him a part of the, I guess, the moral bulwark, so to speak. But yes, the idea that, you know, there's forces trying to destroy everything. And again, even Europe, why is Scandinavia importing minorities from the third world if it's not to, diversify their country so so you see it as inseparable because the forces are against people who are white yeah and and i think it largely has to do with they're trying to destroy you know christian christendom really they're trying to destroy the ashes of christendom because europe was a bulwark of christianity for most of church history I, I think there is probably a satanic e- effort to eradicate that entire race of people or those races of people because of what they want their legacy was and still to some to a large degree continues to be to this day. I, I think the whiteness is associated with Christianity in the the minds of the satanic influence. I think that's inseparable. Yeah, I mean, again, you did your Talmud video uh, this morning, which, again, you know, the Talmud also has uh, some things to say about, I guess, any sort of Roman iconography. And again, if you look at what West, what is Western civilization, it is Rome plus Christianity. It's that Greco-Roman philosophy that, you know, because obviously it was the landscape that was initially Christendom was once Rome or part of Rome. And then you add Christianity as your as the moral framework. I mean, because these forces go after anything that resembles Christianity. Anything that is influenced by Christianity, they go after. Anything that's good, true, and beautiful, they go after. I mean, again, there's a reason there. You have people in secular countries defacing art from the, from the Renaissance. You know what they don't deface is modern art. Yeah, they're not defacing the statue that looks like MLK holding, you know, something weird in his hand. I, I, was it MLK holding something weird, or is it the or maybe woman I don't know, holding something the, weird? And yeah, you know, they're not they're not defacing that, even though it's not really art; it's just a waste of metal. And why is there a concerted effort against countries that are trying to revive Christianity in their in their midst? So, uh, it. it to me, I think it's inseparable, and Stephen Wolf is just trying to give white Christian, white evangelicals a compliment. Yeah, the one time because they don't get yeah they don't get compliments, but as soon as you give them a compliment, one that specifically is exclusive, like you can't give that compliment to another demographic, people lose their minds, and I, I would include Doug Wilson and Cannon Press in that mind losing. So, uh, 
as oh wait uh so he did that then he has the counter offer so here is my counter offer to steven i will be willing to say the 11 words and would also be willing to try to get canon press to say them but the deal would be that he would have to say them also here they are Zionist dispensationalists are the lone bulwark against moral insanity in America. If we were to offer this up as a demographic observation, it makes the same kind of sense as does the white evangelical version, because in North America, white evangelicals really are overwhelmingly Zionist dispensationalists. And it would not appear as though we were subtweeting anything 14 words, because here we are. Because we are not Zionist and we are not dispensationalist. We would just be giving a hats off credit where credit is due kind of thing. And I do like the fact that even though they have they get all tangled up with that rapture thing, the Zionist dispensationalists do manage to be a lone bulwark. Oh my gosh. Where do we want to begin? This is like the Pandora's box of idiocy. Um so here, here's my issue. With One, that. he is probably a Zionist. Let's so let's just say that Doug Wilson can't do the "I'm not a Zionist" card because just because he doesn't adhere to. He's doing the uh, Ron Burgundy. I don't believe you. We'll that. say he's a political Zionist at the very least. <clears throat> but I'll let you go on. Uh, so here's the thing: what exactly is the worldview that? Christian nationalism is fighting against, and it's that post-world, uh, post-world war consensus, post-world war consensus. I keep, even though it's just post-war, but that's the war we're talking about. Uh, that's what the Zionist dispensationalist is not trying to fight against. So there's a, you know, a clash there. There's a tension there between the old guard and the new. Now it is true that. To a large degree, um, the generations that are most Zionist and most dispensationalist do vote in our favor a lot. But it is also true that they vote for incumbents in every single primary. And yeah, I mean, you know, let's who, just... who are the people voting for Mitch McConnell? Lindsey Graham. Uh, who's voting for uh, Tim Scott? I mean, who's re-electing Nancy Mace? And let, let's just talk about the fruits of Zionist dispensationalism, uh, or just Zionism in general. I mean, let's be real: the rise of Trump was somewhat of a of a rebuff against Zionism because Trump was the anti-war candidate. And Zionism, if you actually want to look at what the fruits of Zionism in American politics is, it's the war machine. It is Forever Wars Incorporated. It is 9-11. It is Patriot Act. It is um, obviously everything. I mean, let's let's Syria, which why did we go into Af Islamic State? Why did we go into Afghanistan? Well, because 9-11 happened, which, again, official narrative is that bin Laden didn't like us because of because we sponsored the little Satan and we're the great Satan. And, and that's we had troops thing. in Mecca or Medina or something like yeah. that. Yeah. So we During had the Kuwait Gulf War or something. 
if I recall. Yeah, so that's, you know, official narrative. I mean, again, if you look at what post, if you look at post 9-11 reporting, like that even like Fox News, ABC were doing, mainstream media, they were talking about the, you know, the dancing Israelis, which were like five spies that got arrested and subsequently deported. They're talking about, you know, Israeli spying uh, through U.S. telecom. So, you know, world's greatest ally, you know, if you... If I mean, you, they're not America's greatest ally, and it's not even close. Well, I mean, but if you spend millions of dollars, you can become America's greatest ally. It's the naming rights. But, yeah, what what are the fruits of Zionism? It's bad. It's the war machine. It's forever. I, here's the thing. White evangelicals are the lone bull, bulwark in spite of Zionism. How much more would we be a bulwark or... No, we'd be a bulwark regardless because that's like more of a military formation. How much better of a bulwark would we be if we weren't kneecapped by Zionism? Yeah, I mean, look at dispensationalism. But if you're looking, but you're talking about a, but Wilson's talking about two things that explicitly affect foreign policy, but our foreign policy has sucked for decades. I mean, we got into Iraq, which was literally a Zionist war to topple one of Israel's enemies because, you know, the WMDs weren't there. We destabilized the region. We and if you go to... back with, you know, pop culture at the time, the joke was about yellow cake uranium. And they were making all sorts of jokes about, you know, cake and stuff like that and batter and stuff. Um, so that's then, what but, they were sold. But then you have Syria, uh, Obama trying to depose Bashir al-Assad, who has withstood the good, Zionist. Who, and is also the most pro-Christian leader in the Middle East. Also, it should be noted that other we than displaced, maybe Armenia, but but uh, still, we did displace like a million Christians in Iraq, thanks to George Bush and you know Zionist wars. But I mean, yeah, Iran. Why do we? Why do we hate Iran? Why are they? You know, launching bottle rockets at oil tankers. In, in Iran's the, uh, defense, we toppled a dictator in the fifties in Iran and installed the Shah, or reinstalled the Shah. I should say reinstalled. It's very specific. He was like the king, but we made him like the dictator king. And then they overthrew him, and he wasn't Islamic enough. So because he was anti-Islamic enough, we they overthrew him in 1979. But so, even but the whole reason we hate Iran, and before that, Iran and Israel were actually kind of friendly. with each They other. were actually allies. So, Iran was an ally of Israel back then, under the Shah. But, few people know this but yeah the reason we want to you have the war machine trying to get us into war with iran or you know trying to goad biden into being tough is because you know israel um and of course i mean we can go over to russia and ukraine where do a lot of their ancestors come from which if you know where you know the whole ashkenazi not thing not israel a lot of those people come from ukraine and that's yeah. one reason there's a huge interest in, you know, the Ukraine, the Ukraine conflict and also a big reason why we hate Putin. Bet MGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at Bet MGM. Simply download the Bet MGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live 
bets, and so much more. Download the app in Virginia today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. Everything is connected, right? Yes. Everything it's is like connected. That, it's like that Rick and Morty episode. I haven't seen, I've only seen the first three seasons of it, but it's in the third season where it's like, you know, what, what do you always talk about when you're drunk was a riddle that he made and he just pulls up a map and it's Israel. (laughs) It's like, yeah, it's like, uh, you know, it just always goes back to that when he's drunk or something, but yeah. Uh, But it's just fascinating how this country, you know, dictates our foreign policy and even during the cold war. So, uh, Greg says uh, America was training Iranian fighter pilots. I met one in Lackland AFB. Wow. Yeah, Iran's an interesting study because I actually, you look back on the uh, the coup that we pulled in the early 50s, which barely worked, by the way. But we overthrew a dictator in Mohammad Mosaddegh who was assuming dictatorial powers. We just overthrew one dictator and installed another one, but they didn't revolt against him because he was a tyrant. They revolted against him because he was he was not Islamic enough. He was anti-Islamic. That wasn't a pretty lavish living, too. Yeah, so but you're a dictator. Have... You're a king in the Middle East. Of course you're going to be lavish. So, you know, these, these things happen. But... I, I would argue that white evangelicals are a lone bulwark in spite of Zionist dispensationalism. I, I think it's a, in spite because if you look at Christian political priorities, how much political capital have we expended on Israel that could have been expended on social issues? I mean, or- I hear all this praise about the Abrahamic Accords. I don't even know what the Abrahamic Accords do because when, you know, normalized October- relations. Well, yeah, but when October 7th happened, I mean, you kind of saw that, you know, the normalized relations might be like in name only because a lot of those Arab states still backed or sided with Hamas and and Gaza over Israel. So, I mean, I guess you normalize relations, which is basically a fancy term for you acknowledge what was already existent. Yeah. And it's interesting that the Russians don't really like Israel either. But, well, I mean, P- Putin historically is not a friend of the Jays. I mean, because he basically prevented a lot of globalists from carving Russia for parts. If you go back to like Putin's rise in the 90s. And obviously he had to rebuild Russia in, almost in spite of them. So which is why Russia just says, hey, we want a ceasefire. And they're kind of the global leader in calling for that. Which I just find that interesting because it's interesting how different nations view different conflicts. Uh, But anyway, uh, those are Doug Wilson's 14 words. This would have the additional advantage of ticking off some of Stephen's reactionary fans. I refer to the ones who have the Jew bone stuck sideways in their throat. This accounts for some of the noises they make. So, Again, uh, I mean, he doesn't. I mean, does he not realize that a lot of like the people that support Wolf's work are probably going to be younger? 
and therefore they're probably more prone to isolationism as a foreign policy. Right. And that was brought on by the Ron Paul revolution in 2012, which Trump is the uh, benefactor of because all those Ron Paul crazy people, which they were crazy in 2012, admit it, own it. Um, they supported Trump and not Rand Paul. Uh, Russia is Gog and Magog, don't you know? Man, I did an entire uh, video on David Jeremiah making that argument based on phonetics, and I don't want to relive that. Uh, I mean, I will say, cringe I, controversy, I think, the first of multiple cringes we're going to talk about tonight. I do think, uh, what is it? it does Josephus actually say Scythia's Gog and Magog? Scythia, yeah, Scythians, know. which again, Scythians technically is yeah. geographic Russia, but might not be ethnic. They invented the stirrups. Um, let's see, might as well steal something. More than a few fellow citizens have decided that if they are going to hang you, for a thief, no matter what you do, you might as well steal something. If absolutely everything about what you do is somehow racist, of the glaring kind, or of the micro kind, or of the privileged kind, or of the dog whistle kind, or of the showing up to work on time kind, then racism is clearly not as bad as everyone used to think. Might as well lean into it. Or so the thinking goes. The responsibility of this state of affairs lies squarely on the left, or with the left, who it took a genuine moral consensus that America had gradually come to and had decided to monetize it into one of the greatest, great hustles of history. That appalling story, at least, is aptly told here. But, however, it came about, responsible conservatives still have to deal with the reality of it. The imaginary charges of dog whistling have resulted through long entangled process a congress of actual dogs some of them are pretty mangy uh so this is where we're gonna well start to transition sense. into uh going after I mean, can we just Alan say Church. that like he's talking about like the whole you know america came to this gradual consensus on race which again isn't really true i mean you know i mean there like if you go back to the 60s, they thought a lot of what was happening in the South was very antiquated. And obviously people in the North had a very lower view of people in the South. Yeah. And, and what then, changed that was ZZ Top and you know, making Texas cool and stuff like that. Leonard Skinner in Alabama. Yeah. It took stuff like that to make the South cool and air condition as well. Uh, we also got to give credit to air condition where air condition is due. But yeah, I talked last week about how, you know, America didn't, want the civil rights act and uh, again uh, one thing i was rereading today was that they act, america in the 60 60s actually like the free civil rights act actually thought you know there already was equality so uh, i thought that was kind of funny so this is where we go into the pellet church the reason why i fight for my right to qualify my words on ethnicity and sex the way i do is not because i want to make the race hustlers or massage misogyny mongers happy i know that i will never be able to do that i do it because i want to make it crystal clear that their accusations are false i want them to have more than a few awkward moments in the day of visitation so that sounds like he's being pressured or 
he's doing something in reaction to their social pressure, which doesn't that sound a little bit reactionary? I mean, his whole argument is reactionary. The whole him going after Netter. I mean, there's a lot of things he probably could be more proactive in. Calling out a church in his own denomination? Is that an appropriate use of uh, his resources here? (laughs) I want to fight for the truth in such a way that as to make people accuse me of being a bigot, I also want to fight in such a way that makes it manifestly clear to all the sensible observers that I am not a bigot. The point is not to endear myself with to the progressives. The point is to fight the progressives more effectively. So his third way is more effective. Is what he's arguing here. This is why I am so delighted that my denomination, the Crack, is in the process of approving a memorial on all such issues, a statement that nails the issue down on all four corners. The screaming need for such a statement was powerfully illustrated last week when a correct congregation in Pella, Iowa, was attacked for ministering to and fellowshipping with some folks who would not have been included on the committee that drafted our memorial. You see, the Alistair Begg rule only works in one direction. What is the Alistair Begg rule? Uh, I don't. I mean, obviously, this controversy is only, what, 21 days old? There's already an Alistair Begg rule. What's the Alistair Begg rule? And we can't. Uh, the gay wedding. Who, the gay wedding rule. Is that is that we what we cancel people it? on gay for gay weddings? Like I, I've never heard of that. No, I think the Begg rule is that you go to the gay wedding and bring a gift. I think that's I, what he's saying. I, I don't know. It would certainly be sketchy enough, but only if one stretches to the le- stretches to the left. On top of that, there are situations that are not exactly parallel. There's a difference between talking to someone who wrote an objectionable book and offering a toast at the book release for the party that said objectionable book. Alistair's far more is way more like the latter, and the Pella situation is way more like the former, although that doesn't keep the situation in Pella from being a real pastoral mess. Like, when is it actually a mess? A photo was released online by a gent named Blake Callens that showed various folks associating with the Church of the Redeemer and Pella sitting and talking together. These men, along with goodness knows how many feds, have been guilty of publishing various offensive things online. And when I say offensive, I don't mean scare quotes offensive. I mean offensive to God offensive. Callens also released screenshots of those in case you were curious which he does not link in this article. So you as a, you know, a nor, you know, someone who's not on familiar. Someone that has a life, someone that has a life. is just going to read. is just going to read this and be like, okay, what was actually said? Exactly. Callens also released screenshots of those in case you were curious. We'll link them. But Callens also tried to pretend that crack like Gallio careth for none of those things. He left out, the Memorial on Nations, he as proposed by Huss Presbytery, which I think is his presbytery, and approved in its first reading. A reporter with his zeal should be able to locate the text of it. He should also have been able to find out the reason the crack is in the process of adopting such a memorial. So let's pause right here. Doug Wilson, I, I believe Doug Wilson was the person who's responsible for this is proposing some kind of virtue signaling memorials for the correct to adopt. And keep in mind, when you're talking about the correct, I don't think they have a whole lot of memorials or anything. 
like they're they don't have that many that's yeah true. this isn't the southern baptist convention which has like might have like nine or ten resolutions they pass every single year except this is this or what do they call it in uh pca Resol or are they just resolutions but overtures. either overtures so it's not the same thing it's actually like it's no, in a step further yeah, it's, it's like, I won't say in their constitution, but it might be like in their bylaws or something. You have to state, We're, I believe you have to state your exceptions to them. Yes, like it's, it is more binding than a resolution, which is not binding. Right. And they, but, I think they have like 10, like in total. And they so they're proposing three, three. Two or three. I think he proposed two or he three, proposed but two and one of them third. was merged. The, a third one that he proposed was merged with someone else's proposal. I, I think is what happened. I reported on this several months ago, so I, you know, I'm doing this off the top of my head here. The reason the memorial is going to be helpful is because it provides two things. When an internet ruckus starts up, like this one, it enables all the officers to correct the point to the memorial and say something like, this is our position on these matters. The memorial does not require correct ministers to stop talking with people with offensive and unbiblical views, but it's a good expression of what we are uh, what we believe are offensive and unbiblical views. And in the meantime, if anyone wants to insist that we must ignore all that, not to mention ignoring due process and go along with their vision of on-demand cancel culture, we just we can just refuse. Pound sand, I believe, would be an appropriate expression. So he's basically saying, I'm going to take the reins on the third wayism here. That way we can all do better. Like, this is leadership. I'm not going to lie, but it's not prudential leadership. I mean, the problem with the memorial, which I'm, which is linked or stated later <clears throat> in the article, is that it's, again, the only way this gets interpreted is basically punching right, so to speak, to, you know, to place this in Doug Wilson's framework. Again, if the Southern Baptist had this sort of it, this sort of constitutional bylaw it would be going against it would not be used against those that advocate critical race theory it would be used against those who do the opposite right the ethnic is right what uh on ethnic balance all right so is he uh so this is one of the memorials and it talks about kinism. So it's basically a memorial to reject kinism. And important to reject every form of identity politics, which is just stupid because, you know, you wrote something to the effect of all politics is identity politics. Yeah, I mean, you can't have democracy without identity politics. Again, if you want to argue against democracy, by all means. But I mean, yeah, okay, does that mean that like a black person saying you ain't black if you vote Republican, you know? Like you're going, I mean, again, the whole political tribalism. Yeah. But, you know, does that mean like, you know, we're just going to, are you, are you going to call that out as, Hey, you're going with your ethnicity to the polls and you're, I mean, simply because of your ethnicity, because let's be honest, a lot, a lot, you know, those same black men, if they weren't black, they would, a good number of them probably just vote Republican. So but, what would be a better tactic trying to get black people to reject identity politics or trying to get white people to embrace identity politics in other words self-interest because white interest. a lot of white people hate them hate themselves they hate white people uh if you're a democrat you hate white people 
It's well, in their platform. But even Leave still, their I, platform. <laughs> but if you look at like how do you, how why is there this push? I mean, I mean, obviously, boomers love the whole you know turning the black vote, you know the black the Blexit or whatever they want to call brothers it. be flipping, brothers be flipping. But there actually is it again. It is identitarian as to why brothers be flipping, and it's because of masculinity versus feminism. If you appeal to black men as men, you're again appealing to part of their identity. Again, and one thing I was hearing. Uh, earlier today, it's that, you know, narrative trumps or trumps facts. So, you know, facts don't care about your feelings. Well, the narrative doesn't care about your facts. But even better than narrative is vibe. Vibe, vibe. doesn't care about narrative. And that's, you know, and that's kind of, and that was the guy's response to why, you know, Trump wins in 2016 is there's a vibe. You know, it wasn't just it wasn't about the narrative. It was, it was about the vibe that if you go into the Midwest of America to fly over country, they were vibing with Trump. And, and that's very true. We'll see if they vibe with Trump again. <laughs> now, you, you heard that Nikki Haley lost her primary. Because Nevada had a split system, so they have a yeah, caucus and a primary. You can only be on one, so Trump was not in the primary. He's in the caucus, and the caucus is actually what matters. Nikki Haley is not a serious candidate, so she's not in the caucus. And she lost the primary to none of the above, which is hilarious. I, I think refer that's absolutely to, hilarious. Refer back to Zionist dispensationalist. <laughs> I know. Uh you know who supported her though? John Hagee supported Nikki Haley. He was at her announcement when she announced that she was running for president. John Hagee was there. I wonder why. So I don't know how much more I want to read of this article, but the fact that he gives credence to, you know, a, a pretty despicable person named Blake Callens, not a good look. Uh that really doesn't look good for him to use that. Uh, I don't think the screenshots of what this guy said were all that bad. You want me to pull up the screenshots? It'd probably be helpful for context, but I mean, they're not. They're a we little. Should do, we should be doing what Doug Wilson didn't do. Let's let's put it that way. But I mean, even still, Blake Callens is like a nobody apparently. So even. Just using this, using him as, again, using him as your springboard for an article is kind of ridiculous. Hold on. I got to switch Twitter accounts. And uh, uh, here's what's in, uh, let me just share his summary of it. Here's what's in uh, Pela, an insanely racist content creator. I don't know who that's referring to. Tullius Oddland, I, I'm not entirely sure who that is. The Daily Genevan, I know who that is. Uh, Pastor thinks ethnicities are like species and U.S. is on the wrong side of World War II. Uh, Stephen Wolf is tied with them. How much? Uh, again, this is Blake Callens, who's a certifiable crazy person and I would also say degenerate in some ways. Uh, let's see. He posted these screenshots. Where are we at? Okay, so did he just... It's the Tom did... guy is who they're talking about. This is pretty gay. 
everyone rules over someone and if they don't they're they are lazy in their duties so there's a thing about hierarchy uh, okay so you're just attacking paleoconservatism because again you know that's you know one of these days i might write that article but on natural hierarchy but uh what exactly is a jew lover and uh, uh he's been playing long name he's checkmating he's talking about uh so basically, Stephen Wolf said the evangelical leader are okay with nationalism as long as it's Jewish. That actually isn't Wolf's book. That's you know, and one of the controversial. Tom is one, responding to that. And one of the con more controversial passages that that mention is in there. So it's okay to be nationalism for the right. When he's talking about it, it's okay to be nationalist as long as it's in the right interest or the the right nation. But he's that was in the. I think the section talking about the national nuns, so to speak. And this is him basically attacking uh, Nikki Haley and Zionist. So I, I didn't see any issue with that tweet. Blake Callens obviously does. It's okay for white people to desire something we can call our place, or it's only okay. Is it okay for white people to desire something we can call our place, or is it only okay for Jews to prefer their own people and their. By the way, place. if so, again, he's is, calling out a double standard. So, here. is the CREC memorial going to reject Zionism because that's a separationist, kinist, and like it basically checks every one of those boxes as far as vainglorious. Like it literally checks every one of the boxes in the CREC memorial, the on ethnic heritage. Yeah, they're not going to do that because of uh, there's another. Uh, memorial and anti-Semitism, which gives him a pass. So that is Doug Wilson's doing. So he, Tom, this Tom guy also tweeted a an AI generated image with the mat, a tunnel, New York tunnels, uh, pizza and mattresses with uh, stains on them. No, oh, the pizzas. That's clever too. Oh, that is pretty clever. That's, if this is a meme review, that's a ten. Uh, which again, that's apparently a conspiracy now because I forget which social media put that in their TOS that the, the tunnel, uh, I believe it's YouTube. So, <laughs> yeah. Uh, which let's see. There's we more. got some more memes. <laughs> I mean, that, uh, Ben Shapiro ish soy Jack thing saying, give us Barabbas. Totally I true. Mean, uh, we got a comment about a lot of Jewish people and one Presbyterian in I this think... meeting room. I guess that's referring to Zelensky. And this is some sort of a summit between America and Ukraine. Oh, well, yeah. Zelensky is one of those. I mean, I I'm sure one of these is bad, right? But so far, it's kind of funny. Why does Doug Wilson see the need to denounce a church over this? Anything here? He took the bait. Most of my WBS meme-making friends are in interracial marriages. We have non-white church members whom we love. So this is, again, Tom's not actually what Blake Callens is trying to make him out to be. Uh and there's kind of a stereotype about uh, white supremacists being in interracial relationships. I don't know if you've heard about that. And loving anime. 
I, I don't get it. But it's apparently a thing. So that's what Doug Wilson felt the need to condemn. It's hilarious pictures of dinners underground in subterranean layers that so happened to be at pizza that were probably baked in some kind of Italian brick oven uh, place that also, you know, is in little Italy, right? That's what it's probably about. Not. <laughs> Brooklyn. So, uh, but if we want to do a further expose on Blake Callen's, uh, Perhaps we could do that, but I, I just he's a nobody that's being asked for curve and then treated as important by a lot of you know people who either want to re you know clout chase like an Owen Strand or a uh, what's man, she hates my guts, uh, Janet Metfler, Mefford, uh, someone like her who's kind of falling off who wants to regain some clout. That's my read on that situation. So, uh, let's talk about some uh, Christian news for a second. We uh, run an evangelical dark web Christian news gathering and commentary ministry, and we got some stories to cover that we did not do videos on. And one of the ones I want to talk about because again, Doug Wilson's cringe is not the only cringe we wanted to talk about, and. This is some cringe that I reported on earlier this morning. Jonathan Merritt announces gay grooming children's book. Now, if you don't know who Jonathan Merritt is, you know, he is James Merritt's son. Now, James Merritt was a former Southern Baptist president. His son is a flaming homosexual. And his son has used his father's clout and... To get his own clout with liberal media. He's a prolific writer in the liberal media, uh, especially on faith and religion. He's their go-to to write about evangelical topics for like, you know, in the Atlantic or the Washington Post or religion news services. These are some outlets that he's written at. And he's written, he's written a book, a children's book, to like preschool-ish age called My Gunkle and Me. And Gunkle is code for groomer uncle, right? Probably. I think that's what it stands for. I think that's what it, say. I think that's what it means. Uh, and I do got a frame on this. So here's a little bit of text from that. With a whirl and a twirl, my gunkle turns around. He takes a deep breath and then he kneels to the ground. Dear Henry, I know how it feels to be strange, to be teased and left out for things you can't change. You are, you're the most special child I have ever known, so keep being yourself even when you are grown. For when your children see special, they misunderstand. When children see special, they misunderstand. But one day they'll change. I know this firsthand. Your thoughts on that cringe? Yeah. I mean, and again, yeah. So some... it perpetuates the born gay myth and the idea that it's, you know, okay to be gay. Oh, yeah. But I mean, even more to that, it's just like, yeah, children see, see strange. 
Well, yeah, they should think it's strange. The problem is that they then have to be taught that this behavior is not strange. So, so this is the the part of the book that tries to hammer in the moral messaging. And you notice that as it tries to go very on the nose, or in this case, probably on the penis, uh, with its moral messaging, the rhyme scheme completely deteriorates. Like, they really, the, the rhyme scheme falls apart. I read a lot of children's books these days, you know? And no. I feel like Dr. Seuss had it down, right? And all these other cats, they don't got it down. And what's he and wearing? Like this a crocodile book, or a dinosaur? Hoodie? I don't even know. It's supposed to be strange. Uh, you see, he's gay and he has a bandana or an ascard. I, I can't quite tell. And then he has a dog. That's his dog. And he's only interested in the nephew, the boy. He's not interested in his niece. Who's like you hiding? Know. Who's hiding? Uh, who's seemingly hiding behind his. Uh, fluffy uh maybe i'll put it hawaiian luggage because he's visiting for a weekend but yeah what's interesting is that the book is endorsed by marianne williamson that's kind of a shock right how does he get how does he land that endorsement it's like hey marianne you're a new age priestess can you endorse my book but it's marketed as an inclusive book. And this is how uh, Jonathan Merritt described it on Instagram. My Gunkle and me tells the story of Henry Higgleston, a kid who struggles with feeling like an oddball and outsider at school. But when his fabulous Gunkle arrives for the weekend, the pair take an adventure that opens Henry's eyes to the beauty of his uniqueness and the liberating power of self-acceptance. His father, James Merritt, Jonathan Merritt's father, led the charge in fighting for women pastors in the Southern Baptist Convention in 2023. He has also affirmed his son's ministry multiple times. He was going to be on the staff at Southeastern Baptist Theological Seminary, but he resigned preemptively because he endorsed his gay son's sermon. Saying that it was gospel filled or something like that. Details I included in the beginning of the article. And in 2023, this is the last time I reported on Jonathan Merritt, he credits his father with supporting his ministry. Is it any surprise that the man leading the charge for female pastors in the Southern Baptist Convention is also endorsing this? tacitly or otherwise overtly i mean for i know it's a little controversial but let's be real this is why something like this is a reproach against the father who is a pastor so well i i mean i think he passed that he's so obvious in reproach for endorsing this well not this book but his ministry the ministry of his gay son well, that too, but even still, the just having, I mean, this is why it can, the adult children can be used as, I guess, ammunition, or for lack of a better term, it can be used as evidence of a reproach 
for a ordained pastor. Again, I do, I do hold to the interpretation that, you know, that it's not just children under your household, but it can include children outside your household. That's, uh, because again, you know, if they were outside the household, then, you know, would you ordain that person? Probably not. So therefore it can be a reproach for someone who already is ordained. It is a tougher call. Uh, I'll at least give it that. Oh, I would say it's, it can be a reproach. It is evidence. Helpful. It is evidence or it can be used as evidence. And I do got one. I got another article to share. Sure, the left has Taylor Swift, but we have Cat Turd. This is an article on Blaze, and it's probably the worst article I've seen on the Blaze, on Blaze Media, in terms of columns. Like, this was a Gospel Coalition level of column. I don't know if you've read it, but a lot of people have heard about it. it it's been getting dunked on even by Blaze personnel. Who wrote this? Uh, it's not one of their it doesn't look like one of their normals albin sadar so not exactly they're one of their larger personalities i, I think i saw something that he uh he's been involved with but uh, again why would a relatively small player in the culture war be an example of an effective pushback against the biggest pop star on the planet look behind the scenes so I was certainly rooting for the Baltimore Ravens to be the Kansas City Chiefs a couple of Sundays back. I can't say I was. I was actually more sympathetic to the Chiefs in that game. And after that, I wanted the underdog Lions to pounce all over the San Francisco 49ers. To Which be clear, they should have won. They should have won. Uh, to be clear, the drama staged by the NFL power surrounding Taylor Swift and Travis Kelsey was not the motivating factor in cheering on the opposition for the Ravens. What turned me into a Ravens fan was my appreciation for Baltimore's head coach, that the Baltimore's head coach gave glory to God. Uh, so basically is what he's saying. I watched most of the Ravens Chiefs games until the Ravens were involved a couple of wacky plays behind 10 points. So he's just describing the ball, uh, the game basically. But when quarterback Lamar Jackson threw an interception to the end zone into triple coverage, might I add, he doesn't say that, but it's worth mentioning. I'd had enough. I mean, Jackson had a receiver wide open, but didn't try to thread a needle, but decided to thread a needle with a receiver caught up between three uh, defensive players. So post-game analysis. Uh, so where are we getting to cat turd in this? Such a heady combination would draw. So such a heady combination would draw a totally in a totally new audience to replace the fans that dwindled because of the NFL's far left and end zone messaging. And it's everything gay promotions, by the way, can a man who has transitioned soon be part of an NFL squad? Okay, that's just, that's kind of a cringe line to throw in there. And if you want to ensure that your Chiefs are seen as the good guys in the upcoming matchup, you certainly don't want, want the underdog. Never been to the big dance Lions in the mix. We all know that's how much America loves rooting for the underdog. Now, I want to make myself clear. I'm not suggesting... Any provable hanky panky is afoot within the halls of the NFL. 
I mean, I think that's true with this playoff cycle. I don't think that I mean, was I think true last year. I mean, let, first of all, it is actually legal for the NFL to rig its own games. It's not illegal. So they actually can do it, and they're more than likely using the refs to massage games. They did that last ad- year for the Chiefs. This year, the Chiefs aren't getting many favors. Well, I mean, they robbed the Saints of the Super Bowl, right? That did happen With a defensive pass interference where a guy gets absolutely tackled. That that did happen. So, Uh, I mean, yeah, they do. So, he's trying to say that the NFL isn't rigged. I think that's true this season. The Chiefs, if anything, the Ravens were favored by the referees in that game, not the Chiefs. But the Chiefs still won because, again, Lamar Jackson didn't show up and the Ravens decided not to run the ball, even though they're one of the best running teams in football. Yes, the NFL has gone woke, and the upcoming Super Bowl is appealing to many in that particular camp, peculiar camp. I, for one, will be tuning out, but I'm sure it will work out for the best. Okay. Uh, Recently, I watched Tucker Carlson interview the internet sensation on X, who goes by the moniker Cat Turd. Cat Turd, of course, is not his real name, like William or Mike or Carl Cat Turd. Nonetheless, he has an interesting story about how he went from being a drug-using, tie-dye-wearing, honest-to-goodness hippie to championing the common-sense viewpoint of the right. Is he really a champion there? Isn't he just like a guy that got famous for <clears throat> because trolling his name was Mitt Cat Romney? Turd. Well, but yeah, he was trolling Mitt Romney and cats on the internet. While working construction, Cat Turd and his builder buddies would listen to Rush Limbaugh on the radio because of his... He overwhelmingly agreed with Rush and his arguments against the left. Cat Turd soon came to realize that he himself was a conservative. Cat Turd decided to start tweeting his own opinions and before long found himself internet famous. His tweets even got under the sin of the high and mighty, such as former U.S. rep Adam Kinzinger. Cat Turd posted a cartoon mocking Cat Congressman's support for the war in Ukraine. Like this is former way past when, this is way past when Cat Turd became relatively famous. Now, why would a relatively small player in the culture wars be used here as an example of pushback against Taylor the Taylor Swifts of the world? I think it comes down to what's going on behind the scenes. The left controls all the big media, all the big messaging outlets known as the mainstream media, but the right seems to have a whole army of rabble rousers behind the scenes and social media in political days of yore, Nixon in the 90s, in the 70s, the, the term silent majority referred to the folks who were a strong, powerful, motivating force in the culture, but did not have media megaphone. Something very similar is stirring today. Bold and uh, bold outspoken champions on the right may have been shoved to the sidelines. Think of Tucker Carlson, who's been, you know, out of Fox News, but add to their continued rising uh, stars like Turning Point USA's Charlie Kirk and mainstays like Glenn Beck and Eric Metaxas, both of whom I've worked with previously. And let's just say America's personal 2024 Super Bowl, this year's presidential election is far from played out. Be encouraged. Our movement is grassroots. And we we can build it on the conservative clawing and scratching of a guy named Cat Turd. Anything is possible. What did I just read? 
it sounded like you read someone that had to come up with a column to make for the blaze to make his column quota or to get like however much money he gets for this like a hundred let's say he got paid a hundred bucks so yeah he needs his hundred dollars so this is what he comes up with because he has nothing else to write on so he puts together a hodgepodge of taylor swift the super bowl and captured and then to add his word count he talks about the ravens game I just feel like this is someone who felt obliged to come up with a Taylor Swift take and had nothing to say. Yes. Yelmaz says AI wrote it. It's like, no, AI is more coherent than that. Yeah. I mean, if anything. I'm just left hanging. If anything, AI would have made it all about one of these aforementioned subjects. Okay. For every Taylor or for every cat turd out there, which again, why is he famous? Because he chose the name Cat Turd. And it's not even just Cat Turd. It's like Cat Turd 2. But yeah, he goes by the moniker Cat Turd, and that's why he's famous. There's not much else to it, right? And he's good at trolling. I'll give him that too. Let's not act like he's advancing ideas. And then he's trolling just for trolling's sake. Taylor Swift. So for every Cat Turd out there, how many Swifties are there? Mindless liberal white women or awfuls as we like to call them how many of those are there versus cat turds like what is what is the point here i mean you know obviously the whole like taylor swift debacle because i know a lot of comments came up from like i mean vivek ramaswamy being one yeah, he, he clowned himself on this. Yeah, which is weird given the stuff I've been learning more about Vivek. That's a very weird. I, I mean, this is why I think he's somewhat of a performer. But yeah, I mean, I, I mean, my article in the queue is a Taylor Swift take that is probably more talking about this. What is Taylor Swift spiritually, I guess? And not I'm, not I'm not talking about like her spiritual beliefs, but mainly Supposedly what is the, she's a witch. What is the Swifty? like the spiritual cancer that is the Swifty and more or less the part of the thesis is that Taylor Swift is a modern day Betty Friedan who was the author of the feminist mystique. So, or feminine mystique. Yeah. It's just, I don't get why this was written and published. So, and it got clowned by a lot of blaze personalities, including I believe the editor of, uh blaze media which makes no sense if you clowned your own something that supposedly had to get by your desk well he's uh let me uh make sure i'm correct on that because he he does work for blaze the guy who tweeted this out so let me see if i can find it but he basically said yes this is cringe and we would still publish it, but I'm still going to call it cringe. So he kind of did the thing where the Babylon B or not the B says that we're going to overrule someone's article. He kind of did that. Your Canon Press bashing Stephen Wolf to refer back to the beginning. Right. So that that's kind of how he took that. Uh, so I'm going to issue a last call for questions and maybe get some memes lined up 
for a little bit of meme review. Oh, not AI picture of a tunnel review. Hey, hey. <laughs> Uh, so I'll do a last call for questions and then we're going to do meme review. That is interesting that blaze has like some interesting people writing guest columns. Like Gavin McGinnis is writing columns at blaze, which I find very odd given that, you know, I don't get the point of Gavin McGinnis. I don't, but but I find it odd that he, he apparently was the guy that gave Elijah Schaefer the heads up that, Hey bro, you're about to get fired from blaze. So you might want to start. Uh, having some independent resources so that you can, so that when you get fired, you're prepared. So uh, he, a couple of these memes are Doug Wilson related. So this is what I made last night. Uh, since we're going to do meme review, I made this last night. It took me too long to make this. This is a Michael Lofton meme and it's the uh, Patrick stars wallet. That's not my wallet. And I really tried to follow the, it's a little wordy, but if you watch the original episode of SpongeBob, it's kind of wordy. He's using Socratic dialogue, and it just doesn't work on Patrick because he's retarded. So it's like, is this the Talmud? And Michael Lofton says, yup. And these are sections about Jesus the Nazarene boiling in excrement. Yup. So the Talmud identifies Jesus with unmistakable similarities and says he is boiling in excrement. That makes sense to me. So the Talmud blasphemes Jesus. That's some other Jesus. You know. And I uh, don't Should was... have been that's not my Jesus. I don't know. I mean, yeah. what do you think? I mean, I like it. It's good. It's a good seven. Okay, good seven. It took me too long to make. <laughs> uh let's see. Here's uh one I got lined up for you. Norman Walk. Rock, whoops, Norman Rockwell painting of the guy standing up at the desk in the meeting or whatever. Zionist dispensationalists are the lone bulwark against moral insanity, but Doug Wilson's head is photoshopped onto the guy in the painting. It's poignant. Yeah, I don't. I I don't think Wilson would like that either. I don't think he would, and it's. It's a good jab. This is from Josh Bishop on Twitter, uh, who apparently follows Evangelical Dark Webs, like you should as well. Uh, this is a stone toss comment uh, comic that is been photoshopped, and you see uh, the Christians and then White Boy Summer are pulling in tug of war, and they're pulling against Doug Wilson and Amy Bird. And the Christian is confused by that. I gave it a five. I mean, it's not it's not really doing it for me. I like it, but it's it's a five. I don't, I'm not even familiar with the template. Uh, it's like a tug of war, and you're surprised at who's on your side. Okay, I took it as he was surprised that he's on the other side. Oh, yeah, yeah, that, that is seemingly how it works. Uh, someone made this. It's less of a meme, but more of a good statement. James Merritt's CRT speech at SBC 21. Second gayest thing he's ever made. <laughs> nice eight. I, I mean, you, you lose. I don't know. The joke is an eight. The, the picture might not be. Is that uh, actually when he's giving the poison pill speech, or is this another? Is that another James Merritt speech? Uh, James Merritt gave. He was- a- 
Whoa. Uh, here we go. Doug Wilson in a corner. Uh, hi, you know, him and these little kids are hiding in the corner. And it's just a rabbit. Claims of racism from a mental clown. It's like they're threatened by a rabbit. It's a black rabbit, too. It is a black rabbit. Like, isn't it usually a white rabbit? In follow this the video? white rabbit, right? Yeah, follow the right white rabbit. Like, what do you think I'm looking at here? Uh, what do you think? Good meme? Is it worthy? I give it a five. I mean, it's not my favorite. Yeah, it's a simple template, but I think it does make a good point. Uh, uh, here's another one. I really like this. This one I give a nine. Here's to Nikki. She really is second to none. <laughs> because she lost the primary in Nevada to none of the above. Solid seven. Uh, I like that. that not is, the best rendition of the picture. So that, that not the, yeah, you got to get a better quality. Uh, Put a little bit more time into your meme, people. Uh, this one I think is, and of course I do love me some, you know, Django Unchained. Yeah, I do. It is uh, it definitely is an a bang up movie. So, wait, let me get back on the tab that I was sharing. So, here we go. Emperor Nero, first ruler to persecute Christians. Emperor Constantine made Christianity the religion of his empire, which technically isn't true. But, as you can see, this is a meme about physiognomy that Nero looks like a coomer and Constantine looks like a gigachad. Coincidence? You know, I'll give it a nine just because of the in intelligence that went into this. Uh, you connected the 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 whole AI rendition of historical figures based on their their bones, or in this case, their bust. And the you know, obviously, I didn't know that Constantine had had a profound uh, jawline. I didn't know he was that good looking of a guy. Yeah, uh, I'm kind of shocked by that. I'm. Unsurprised that Nero's not that good looking, but isn't he somewhat inbred? I mean, there's a lot of things wrong with Nero. All right, here's a bang up meme from Monsters Inc. Probably the most underrated Pixar movie is Monsters Inc. Can we just weigh in on that for a second? Yeah, I mean, it, that's in the conversation. No one ever puts Monsters Inc. in a top five for Pixar movies. And it's I very it's relatable. It's it's got think, a lot of it's got a lot of that humor that uh, you know, people office like. Humor. Yes. And it's blue collar. So Monsters University is a terrible movie because it takes away from the blue collaredness of Monsters Inc. But I can get into the worst Pixar movies later. Worst Pixar movies finding Dory, by the way. Uh don't watch it. It is abysmal. But, yeah, like, people ranking top five Pixar movies have, like, two Toy Story movies in there. Like, Toy Story 1, Toy Story 2. It's like, Toy Story 2 isn't that good. The writing is not good in that movie at all. Uh, it's a plot of convenience. Like, them being right down the street from a toy store. And the guy on TV. And like, it's right such a convenient plot. Like. Should not have this many coincidences. Coincidences are bad writing when they don't happen in the very beginning of a story. 
writing rules, right? So this is Monsters, Inc. Top five Pixar movie. Debate me on that. Uh, times have changed. The native populations are not enough anymore. And this is the scene, the pivotal scene between Waternoose and Sully. But replacing it with a, with a new slave class? And this is the line, the code red line. I'll import billions before I let the GDP die. I mean, this is a 10 out of 10. I, I because I of the message, game. the obviously the the fact that it, it relates to the to the actual dialogue from the scene because he's like, I'll sa- was it? I'll capture millions of children. I'll kidnap million or I'll kidnap without- thousands of children before I let this company die. Is the scene is the line in the scene. And yes, I mean, basically, you know, selling out your entire country for a few points more in GDP, which again, just for the worst know, way to measure an economy out of yeah. like all the other measurements that we and before have. someone says uh, GDP is improved by immigration. No, it's really not because it's it's a glorified wealth transfer. So you lose out. They gain the most of the benefit goes to the to the illegals, not to the citizens. And maybe there's like $20, like, you know, $20 per capita higher, but it's like, you know, obviously that could be like deficit spending, which also improves GDP. Yeah. And that's not exactly good for your economy. (laughs) So, yeah, I mean, corporatism, which, you know, goes in line with the Zionism and dispensationalism. I think that's all our memes for uh today i think we had some good ones uh wow uh here's a question we did get some questions is it is it kinism to celebrate kelsey and swift being together yes because they're both white right that's the logic i mean actually because doesn't Travis Kelsey have a history of preferring black women? That is true. But Taylor Swift only has a history of preferring white men. None of them were alphas that I can tell. But now she's presumably with an alpha that's a beta, you know, alpha in the physiognomy, but a beta in the rest of the areas in the personality. So uh, I'm going to say yes. And then another question. Doug Wilson condemns celebrating white boy summer, condemns celebrating white boy summer. Would he condemn John Doyle? And I think logically the answer is yes. Yes. And it's you're weird. more of a John Doyle person than me. It's weird because so, I know uh, like uh, Joel Webbin and his, his crew, they're, they're embracing John Doyle. And they specifically referenced his, I guess, MLK dissertation. And obviously, John Doyle is is in the happy warrior spirit, which is part of what White Boy Summer is. It's about, you know, taking back the culture, kind of like, and maybe other Paul, if you're in the chat, if you want to comment on the Australia Day push. But the idea of, like, you know, taking back your culture, but, you know, having fun, happy warrior the idea that you go out and build something instead of like, I guess, lounging around and being a nihilist. So I would hate to think that Doug Wilson would condemn that, but obviously if he doesn't, un- he fundamentally doesn't understand white boy summer, just as he doesn't understand uh, netter or friend enemy distinction. Cause he's very much a boomer. Maybe that's the, dis- 
maybe that's really what it all comes down to that generational divide you see if we can you know honor the fifth commandment and still criticize the boomers because our parents aren't boomers <laughs> so gotta love that uh it seems to be all uh that being said uh can support Evangelical Dark Web over at evangelicaldarkweb.org slash join. If you stuck around this long and haven't subscribed, what are you doing? Hit the like and the subscribe button on your way out. Uh, we got more content coming up. A bunch of people want me to weigh in on John MacArthur and gay wedding cakes, which I did not know about Ooh, prior was... to a bunch of people wet telling me that I'd be a hypocrite to not talk about it. I'll be honest. I was at, I was honestly in the... I would say in the early stages of working on that, but you know, work schedule and all. Because... I'll, I'll, I'll do something on that. Okay, fair, fair enough. I'll right. let you have it because I was, I was honestly, that was on my plate. And but then I, I got to write about TD Jakes, and that should be fun. Uh, so anyway, I got to get going. So have a blessed night, and we will catch you on the next one.